0: Hey guys, welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. We're coming to you from the heart of Los Angeles, California, and it is our joy and our privilege to know there's a tribe across the world that has joined us on this mission of Jesus. I'm amazed how many people have told me that it's this podcast that has really given them life, has renewed their faith, and for many of them have rediscovered Christ. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged and helped and strengthened and maybe even rediscovered your faith because of what's happening here at Mosaic, I want to ask you to take a step and become an investor in what God is doing through Mosaic. I love the fact that our community here in Los Angeles has been committed to you. Now I'm going to ask you to be committed to them because together we can do more than we could ever do alone. So I want you to go to the mosaic.org give section of the website and I want you to make a commitment. ...to be a part of taking this message across the world. When we receive, we should be grateful. But when we give, we are now expressing that gratitude in tangible, practical ways. Let's together get the message of Jesus to every corner of this planet. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for joining the tribe. So last Sunday, we took some time and focused on why it's important to establish a foundation the future, why it's important for us to do this thing that that we call church, why, why it matters that we sacrifice together to create something that would never exist if those of us whose lives were f- not forever changed by Jesus didn't do this. I, I remember when I was in college, I had to pick a major, and my, my first major was actually Civil War History. I'm not really sure why, but it just... Sounded niche and unique, and I thought I would be the best student since no one else would major in that. And and I I began studying wars and transitions in history. And and one of the wars that actually really intrigued me was the Revolutionary War, because there's just no way in the world the British should have lost to the colonies. I mean, really, today we should still have a queen. We 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 should still have an empire in Parliament, but here we are, a separate nation, because the British couldn't figure out that the rules had changed for war. I mean, after all, if you wanted to pick a strategy that guaranteed your failure, pick really, really attractive, bright, red uniforms. So that when they're looking for something to shoot at, they can see you clearly. And then if, if that were not easy enough, because, of course, they're, they're fighting all these revolutionaries who were more disorganized and, and less well-trained. And, and, and so to make it easier for them, line up in a straight line. Side by side. And that way, if they just shoot for the middle, they're going to hit something. And of course, the revolutionaries, the, the, the colonists, they didn't follow those rules. They didn't wear bright red uniforms. They they camouflaged themselves into the environment. And they didn't line up in straight lines. They just hid in the woods and the trees. And they changed the rules of the game. And there are times I feel like the church is almost like the British. We wear bright red uniforms and line up and say to everyone, shoot us. Here we are, we, we, and, and, except that we choose t-shirts that say Jesus, and put fishes on our cars while we run red lights, and create low-quality movies but talk about Jesus. You know, we, we wear red uniforms and say, here we are, ready for the battle. And, and, and even when I watch like epic events, whether it's the Olympics or the NBA finals or some political event, there's always someone in the background carrying a sign representing us. Have you ever noticed that? Aren't you so glad they're there on our behalf? <laughs> Holding a sign that says the Bible is true because that, that's what you should say to the whole world, right? Or repent. Or one of my personal favorites, even though I know it's well-intended, when they write John 3.16, as if the entire world has read the Bible. I want to remind you of that verse you forgot. All the billions of you in China who have never seen a Bible. There it is. I didn't even know there was a John in the Bible. I didn't know there was a chapter 3, and I had no idea what the 16 meant. But somehow, we communicate things as if everyone is already on the same page with us. That it would be so much better if we actually understood the strength and power of guerrilla warfare. Oh, and by the way, that is actually the strategy. See, when we're not together, we are supposed to be engaged in guerrilla warfare. Camouflaging into the environment of the world outside of us, looking like humans. Isn't that a great strategy from God? I'm going to put you out there in the real world with real people. And I'm going to keep you being real people. Except that I'm going to change who you are. And so you're still going to be a human. But you're going to be an expression of what a human looks like when they're fully alive. And I'm going to create a subcategory of employment opportunities. And so I I don't want you to be a Christian plumber. I just want you to be a plumber. And plumb. I, I don't want to make you an engineer just for Christian engineering. I want you to be an engineer, but maybe a good one. I want you to be a world-class architect, a world-class teacher, and I want you to infiltrate every aspect of society and live your life in such an astonishing way that people come and ask you what actually motivates you. It's a great strategy, isn't it? In fact, that strategy is so effective that it makes you wonder, then why come back like this where people can actually see us? And then evaluate us, judge us, and, and it's almost as if when we come together, we put on the red coats, isn't it? So I, I really pressed into saying, God, why is it important for us to be the church? Why is it important for us to come together and become a tribe, to become a people, and, and to be a visible manifestation of an invisible reality that is taking place every day all over the world? that you're drawing people to yourself and calling up people to yourself. Well, then it became more clear to me, this has always been God's way of doing things. If you live in LA long enough, you end up having friends who live in other parts of the country and they realize they can come visit you and stay in your house or in your apartment and they can visit Hollywood while they're staying with you to save money. Isn't it great? And so we'll have people who come from all over the country who've known us for years, family, friends, and they always want to go to the same places. And they want you to take them there because, of course, you have all the time in the world because you don't work. You, all you do is tour friends. LA. And, and they always want to see things that you know they don't really want to see. They say, I want to see the Hollywood sign. I just go, there, there it is. No, no, but I want to go up. There. But you can't see it from up there because you're behind it. So you can see it from here. Look. But they, they have to go see the Hollywood song. I, I, I want to go to Hollywood Boulevard. They go, nobody in LA wants to go to Hollywood Boulevard. But you understand. There are no residents there. There are homeless and tourists. That's all that there are. But when they want to go see the stars. And you try to explain to them, it's the nastiest sidewalk in the world. You don't even want the soles of your feet to touch that sidewalk. I'm telling you. But they go, oh, I have to see it. And you, if you walk over in that direction toward the stars, you, you see all the, all the tourists there are taking photographs of people who are dead. <laughs> of their stars with their feet there. And, and they'll have a friend take a picture of them right there because they have to see that. And, and then, of course, some of them will want, want to see Capitol Records, which I think is kind of epic. Because I grew up with the Jetsons, so I, I knew that building. It's the building of the future. <laughs> and, and maybe they'll want to go to the Santa Monica Pier. And, and part of the reason they want to go to those places is, is that those places are reference points. And they may not mean much to us, but reference points always mean more than what they are. They're actually symbols of a, of a higher ideal, of a greater reality. See, those reference points are a reminder to the world that that there's an epicenter on this planet that is the fountainhead of creativity and imagination and artistry. And so they come here to see those, those icons, those symbols, because they're a reminder to us that beautiful things emerge out of the human spearhead. And that's exactly what the church is supposed to be. See, God has always had a reference point. And it makes perfect sense when you realize that that we humans are trying to get a hold of something that's so ethereal. We're trying to see an invisible God. To hear a God whose voice is inaudible. We, 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 We want to somehow come to know a God that seems to be unknowable. We're supposed to connect in this moment with a God who is eternal. And so it'd be so easy to miss God, wouldn't it? And so it makes sense that throughout history... God has always chosen a reference point so that people could actually see that reference point and find him in the midst of it. And God has transitioned that reference point throughout history. He chose a person to be his reference point. And out of that person, he chose a people to be his reference point. And out of that people, he chose a tribe to be his reference point. And out of that tribe, he chose a nation to be his reference point. And sometimes even in the middle of that journey, he was very, very creative in the process. He chose a burning bush to be the reference point of the presence of God. He chose a mountain that they call the mountain of God. Because on that mountain, a man went and sat face to face with God. And the curious thing about it is that every mountain has the presence of God. God is on every mountain. There is no mountain you can go to where God is not. But he still chose a particular mountain and he called it the mountain of God. God has continuously chosen something that was physical, a physical manifestation of a more profound invisible reality. And it would seem that that reference point would almost be limiting to him. He chose an ark to be the reference point of his presence. And he also chose a tent to be the reference point of his presence. A tabernacle to be the reference point of his presence. And then a temple to be the reference point of his presence. I always thought that was odd. That God would have them build a temple. I mean, What temple is big enough to hold the presence of God? It would seem to be so constricting, so confining for God. So I know he did not build that temple for him. He built it for us. So that we could have a reference point that reminded us that God was with us. Yeah. And, and then in the scriptures, he, he points to different reference points that will help us find our way to him. So I'm going to make a city my reference point. I'm going to create a house that is my reference point. And then Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the church will be my reference point to a world that's in desperate need of finding me so that people will know that I am here. See, the reason what we do together is so critical, the reason it's essential, is that the church is the reference point of God That he has stepped into human history, has taken on flesh and blood, has walked among us, was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. The church is the reference point that Jesus has come and he is here. So there's this beautiful moment in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, where God speaks into the future of his people. And he says, this is how you will be a reference point. To the world for me. Beginning in verse 18. It says the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore love, truth, and peace. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty, to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days... Ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you. Let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. He interjects into their common practice of religion a new reality. See, the people of Israel had these these practices of engaging in sacred fasts where they withheld from themselves things that brought them joy, things that brought them pleasure, things that they wanted in life, even perhaps at times needed. And in that fast, it would be, for them, their most sacred expression of faith. I don't know if you've ever fasted in your life. Well, in Los Angeles, people fast, but for appearance reasons, not not for the healing of their souls. But here, they were not fasting so that they could make the weight or slip into a size four. They were fasting to try to connect to God as an expression of their spirituality. And it says, the fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months, there's a lot of fasting involved. So these fasts will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. He's saying these fasts, where you connect your most deeply spiritual act, I want to transform the way you understand faith. Because they were like so many people that thought if it was spiritual, it had to be somber. If it was sacred, it had to be morose. It had to connect to suffering. I mean, I would be willing to fast lima beans and beets for the rest of my life. In fact, I'll just make that commitment right now. Because if I decide to fast lima beans and beets, it's cost me nothing. It's saved me from some horrible experiences. Because I don't understand how anyone could like beets or lima beans. See, fasting only counts... If you withhold from yourself something that actually brings you joy. Something that actually brings you pleasure. Something that you want. And so you fast even sometimes from those things that you need. And so you fast from eating or you fast from drinking. And what God is actually saying to them is you have a misunderstanding of what it actually means to live in a sacred space. And what I want to do is I want to make you a reference point where faith is a celebration of life. I want you to take these these months of fasting, I want you to take the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th month, and I want you to see it, them differently than you've ever seen them before. I don't want them to move you to a place of of, of of sorrow and lamenting and suffering. I want them to become joyful and glad occasions. And I I know that sometimes people will create a distinction between joy and happiness. And they'll say, well, we should be joyful, but we shouldn't care about being happy because joy is, is, is deep, but happiness is, is shallow. So I love the fact that he says here, they will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals. So I'm just going to admit it. I want to have joy and I want to be happy. I want them both. I want to have the deep joy that's not connected to my circumstances that comes from something deeply meaningful inside of my. So I don't want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to enjoy life, suck the marrow out of every moment. I want to be aware of the beauty all around me) I don't, I want to feel the hairs on my arms stand up and goosebumps on my neck because I wake up and I am fully alive. I want every time I connect to God to be like having a drink of cold water on a hot, scorching day. But somewhere along the way, we, we connected suffering with the sacred. Suffering is not sacred. Suffering is suffering. Suffering. And suffering can move you toward a sacred life, or it can move you toward a life of bitterness. But God never created a value for suffering, He only created a value for what we can accomplish through suffering. And there are some of you who have a misunderstanding about God. You think God is against your joy, you think God is against happiness. You think the only way you can be deeply spiritual is if you're always depressed, if you're always down, if you're always suffering. I had someone actually come to me once, tell me that they're going to quit their job. And I said, why? They said, I'm just too happy. I love my job. And I just feel so guilty. This cannot be God's will for my life. I said, you are really troubled. And what's worse worse than how troubled you are is how broken your view of God is. You actually want to quit your job and find a direction for your life that makes you miserable because you think misery is spirituality. And sometimes we we, we, we act so self-righteous that we want to demean people who look happy. Look how superficial they are. Because you know there is no deep person who's actually happy. Every deep, thoughtful person is actually miserable. They're actually depressed. If you're happy, you're just too so stupid to know how miserable you should be. Because all artists are depressed. Because we're in touch with our deeper us. Well, if your deeper, you is a hollow shell. You better run from your soul. And find one that's alive and wants to live. Yeah, we can clap. I love Thanksgiving. I mean, I love Christmas, and I, I know Christmas gets first priority. But I love Thanksgiving. I've always loved Thanksgiving. I, 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 I just, there's something about Thanksgiving that just draws me in. Eating may be a part of it, but, but it's just really beautiful. In fact, it, it troubles me that the rest of the world doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving, and when I've traveled the world, I've, I've actually felt such sadness for them. I love Thanksgiving. I, but Kim and I prepare differently for Thanksgiving. She cooks. She, she cooks turkey and stuffing and gravy and mashed potatoes and green beans and pies. A lot of pies. When you marry someone from North Carolina, you get a lot of pies. <laughs> And she moves furniture too. She starts reorganizing the whole house. She starts redecorating everything. Because Thanksgiving is an event. It's a festival event for her. And she has a place for everyone who comes. It's so carefully curated. Now I prepare for Thanksgiving, but it's just different. I prepare by preparing my heart for eating. I prepare by cheering her on and saying, Honey, I love you. This is a beautiful thing because if she went through all this effort and had no one to appreciate it, how sad it would be for her. <laughs> you see, what, what has happened is that so many of us have made coming together as the church, as this self-indulgent experience where it's just for us. But you, you have to decide if you're always going to be simply the consumer of the meal or the creator of it. See, and with the church does when we come together is not simply create a space for us but we are preparing a banquet table for everyone who's so hungry and has nowhere to call home but but sometimes sunday seems to be the most depressing hour and if it's not depressing it's certainly reserved you may not know this but but when i became a follower of christ i actually became the pastor of a black church I started it pretty much from scratch. There was only like five or six of us. And we were dominantly African-American. We didn't use the phrase African-American back then. We were just black. And, and it was the most exhilarating church. I tell you, we went crazy. It was fun. We would go wild. We would sing. We would shout. People would go nuts in, in, in that space. And it would just be full of so much energy. And, and, and then I, I went white. And, And I love you. I love you, but it was hard going white. It was hard going white because in my soul, I was still black. But I'm talking to a lot of white people just looking at me going, he's acting like he wants us to respond. And and, and then there's white, and then there's L.A. white. Because now you're adding cool on top of white. everybody would come in so cool and everybody was way too cool to sing and way too cool to applaud and way too cool to respond. And, and so after a while, I actually started a, a motto here saying, leave cool at the door. Because when you bring in your cool, it just gets really cold in here. Because <laughs> one of the things we don't really understand And I think sometimes we don't understand the cultural dynamic of why the black church is so full of celebration. Why it's so alive. It's because, see, the white church was created by the free. But the American black church, it was created by the slaves. See, See, in the black church, it was the only place they were free. The only place they had value. The only place where they mattered. The only place where no man could tell them that he did not belong to God. So frankly, when you grew up in the white church, you didn't celebrate because you were free. You you were more free on Monday to live the life you actually lived than on Sunday when you are pretending to live a different life. So it was more restraint. We you have some real talk for a few moments? Yeah. See, but when you live in a world where nothing makes sense, when a person says you're a possession because of the color of your skin, when your family has been decimated by a man who says he believes in God because he's taken your wife and your daughter, you see, when the world is upside down and you walk inside the only place you're allowed to speak your mind and your heart, yeah. suddenly celebration yeah. is born. Yeah. the church should to be a reference point of a faith that celebrates life there should be no place in the world that's full of more joy more anticipation more celebration more insanity than the church this is the one place where you can find your freedom and find yourself because here you matter I love events. I mean, I love great movies. I love great sporting events. There's something about that moment when you're watching a great film or your heart's pounding against your chest. You just want to stand up and cheer the people on screen because they're telling a story that matters. I, I love the last 12 minutes of a basketball game. The first three quarters are really just sort of incidental. It's almost as if they're just going through the motions. Only the fourth quarter where NBA players start playing at their NBA caliber. And in those last two minutes, you see people who are poor and rich, educated and uneducated, blue-collar, white-collar, gold-collar, celebrities and people who will live in anonymity stand up and start screaming their guts out, cheering on their team. If we want to be the reference point that this city needs, that every city needs, We need to be a reference point of a faith that creates and celebrates life. People need to be talking about us. They need to be talking about Mosaic. They need to be anticipating that something extraordinary is going to be happening. People should be talking it up Monday through Saturday. Have you been waiting for a great movie to come out? They send the trailers out so we can talk to each other. And when you have a life-changing experience, when you see a film that impacts your life, you don't have to get paid for it. You start telling everybody, you got to see this movie. Yeah. You ever gone and see a bad movie twice? <laughs> I hope you didn't say yes. You have deeper problems than I can help. At least tonight. Who goes and sees a bad movie twice? You don't go see a bad movie twice. But you'll go see a movie that affects you over and over again and you'll want to bring people with you. You yeah. got to see this movie you got you to hear this story. you got to see this band. Something is magical about this moment. So how many people did you tell this week that something was going to happen here today that would change their lives forever? Mm. I better move on. Because there's supposed to be joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals and... But it says also, therefore, love, truth, and peace. He goes on to say, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once and entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. I... I, I I love reading Overheard in L.A. and Overheard in New York. Those are my two cities that I just love listening in on. I used to actually take notes before those Instagrams ever existed. I would hear people say things like, well, i got to write that down. I think the first one I ever heard was a guy yelling on the phone in New York. Risk! Risk! You did what with my money? I don't do Risk! Gotta write that one down. <laughs> Staying in another corner of a man and his wife, little child. You say, let's go this way. She goes, I don't think so. Said, let's go this way. She goes, I don't know. Well then let's go this way. I I I am not sure. He goes, well, you just when the light changes, you just pick away. And I, I just love listening to conversations, but this is the moment where God is listening in on a conversation. See so there's a lot of places in the scriptures where God is telling us something, but here God is listening in on what we're saying. Let me tell you what the cities are saying. I'm eavesdropping. It says, Many peoples and inhabitants from many cities will yet come, and the inhabitants from one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once and entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I love this. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem, the reference point, to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat Him. See, if we're going to be a reference point, we have to be a reference point, not just that spiritual stuff is happening. I, I know for years I used to hear people say, well, you know, the difference between us and everyone else is that we pray. You go, really? You think so? You think we're the only people who pray? You need to get out a little more because the whole world is praying. And in fact, there are Muslims who probably pray five times a day more than you. There are Buddhists who spend an immense amount of time in meditation and prayer they are atheists who pray. They don't want to. But what do you do <laughs> when you're desperate? You just go, oh God, somebody help me. They talk to the universe, hoping the universe will not judge them. You ever, you ever heard people talk? Well, you know, the universe. The right? universe, like the universe is going to help me. The universe is going to make me. I want you to know something. I mean, I'm not trying to talk, throw any shade on the universe. I love the universe. <laughs> but the universe has never thought once about you. Just never thought about you. You just—you are incidental to the universe. The universe doesn't care about you at all. I'm, I'm not saying that... Yes, I am. I'm saying that the, the universe is indifferent to your needs. And If you scream to the universe, the universe won't even be offended because it won't even hear you. But God will. And what I want you to know is the entire universe... Conspires for your success because God created the universe so that you could live. But it's because God cares about you that the universe ever moves in your direction. But you see, the reference point to the church is not that we pray because people pray. The reference point of the church is that we're a place where prayer actually works. And, and I, I, I've tried to work my way through this. I've tried to become more accommodating. You know, I, I sometimes I'm seen as anti-religious. And, and I've had so many interviews where people say, well, you know, when we read your material, when we read your books, when we hear your quotes, you sound like you're against religion. And what's always odd to me is that I'm usually talking to a person who's an atheist who actually is for religion. And I'm the person who believes in God that's against religion. But you see, if you don't believe in God, religion is the best you can get. To organize people so that they won't do more bad stuff. But I'm not really for that. And it, it bothers me that there are people all over the world crying out and praying and going through rituals and routines hoping that somehow they will move God to finally care about them. When all they have to do is ask. See, prayer it isn't magical and it isn't a routine or a ritual. There is no system to prayer. When people ask, me, well, I don't know how to pray. How do, you, how do you pray? Praying is just telling God the truth that he already knows about you. Telling God the truth about your doubts and your fears. Telling God the truth about your hopes and your dreams. Prayer is telling God the truth, what's in your soul. God is big enough to hear what's really in there. But then you have to open up your heart and become big enough to hear what he has to say to you because prayer is not only telling God the truth but receiving from God his truth. Let him speak into your life and he will blow your mind and expand your dreams and absolutely crush the borders and boundaries of your imagination. See, I I love the fact that it says that people will come from all over the world. People from cities everywhere say, I'm going to go and I'm going to... Entreat of the Lord this. I'm gonna go and ask God to help me. Now, that, isn't that sort of like a waste of time and energy? Why would you have to travel from one city to this one particular city? Why would you have to leave your city to go to this one particular city to ask God to help you? Because God's in every city, right? God is everywhere. But let me tell you what's happening all over the world. People are praying and they're not getting any answers. People are crying out to God and it seems that God doesn't care about them. People are desperate and they don't know if God exists and many of them have given up on God because they can't figure out how to get God's attention or affection. See, and we're supposed to be a reference point. We're supposed to be the the proof that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers and acts on our behalf. But how will they ever know that if we're not actually having conversations with God, asking God for big things? How will we ever prove that God is real if our prayers are so small they barely prove that we're real? Some of you, the biggest prayers you prayed this week was thanking God for your meal. It was a big meal. (laughs) You pray for things you already have. That you've already earned, that you've already worked for, that you know will already be accomplished? What have you prayed for that will either make a fool of you or make you the proof of God to the city? Yeah. And, and it's going to create a space here where people are going to want to come when we become a place where faith is a celebration of life. This is a place where people go, "You know, when I don't know why, but when those people at Mosaic pray. God moves. Something happens. And I, I can tell you, I have so many friends that don't believe in God and they've asked me to pray for them. And I always think it's curious because I kind of want to, you know, go, what's the point? And, and, I, and when they've asked me, will you pray for me? I go, but you don't believe, right? They go, no, but you do. <laughs> I go, you're right. And I, I believe enough for both of us. I believe enough for you. There's something that happens when you come together with people who share a common heart. See, when, when, when you have faith by yourself, it has a power, but when we have faith together, it is unstoppable. Have you ever noticed that? When you get together with people who have a like heart, that the whole environment changes. I, I remember when it was the season finale of Lost. My wife actually had a Lost party. I mean, Kim had a Lost party. <laughs> and she did not invite me. And I said, I love loss. She was not like we do. do I did not meet the standard of faith for her community. And then when Down Abbey was coming to a close, God help us, she had a Down Abbey finale party, to which I was not invited. And I will without shame say, I love Down Abbey. I watched every episode. More than once. But she didn't think I'd qualified because I didn't have the level of love for Downey Abbey. I probably shouldn't say this, but Mariah loves the bachelor. <laughs> she doesn't want to watch The Bachelor alone. So sometimes like Tess will be over there she I have some girls over there and Eric Roy? <laughs> be the girls and Eric. She's never invited me to watch The Bachelor with her. Never. Because she knows I don't believe. <laughs> See, there, there, there's something that God has created in the way he acts in human history. That when we come together with a common faith and a common mission, and a common passion. And we decide to move together as a people. He acts in a way in human history that does not happen when we walk alone. And it will call people. It'll draw them out. I see this happening all the time. People who love something, they seem to find the people who love it. If we become a people that are known by the power of our life of prayer and that God meets us and answers our prayers, I'm telling you, people all over the city and all over the planet will find their way here because they're so desperate. You know there are people who travel to Mecca in hopes that Allah will hear them. There are people who walk the pilgrimage of Spain hoping that somehow God will hear them. I don't want him to have to travel so far. I want him to come to the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and La Brea and say, we know that God hears the prayers that come from this place. Then he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says in verse 23. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. I love this. Ten people who don't know God are going to grab a hold of one person who knows God. And they're going to beg them. And you ever felt like you're trying to figure out how to convince your friends to Think about God. You ever thought to yourself, what, what, what can I do? How can I be clever? And how, 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 how can I be nuanced enough to be able to talk about Jesus? <laughs> With my friends during the week. Have you ever done that? Just waiting for someone to sneeze. You go, God bless you. <laughs> Except then you then actually just chicken out and go, tight? Keeping it generic. Happy holidays. We don't want to press in and act like we actually believe in God. We don't want to actually be identified with Jesus because that would create all kinds of crises in our lives. And so many of us actually spend our lives going, well, I just don't have anyone who's open. But here what it's actually saying is that you can move into such intimacy with God. That you will become a reference point for those people who do not believe in God, who do not know God, but are desperate to find him. And you're not going to have to figure out how to start a conversation. You're not going to have to figure out how to be witty and clever. You're not going to figure out how to be nuanced. They're going to grab you and say, can we go with you? Because we think that God is with you. a while back I got an email from a really successful Actor and, and they wanted to have lunch and have a conversation. I, I wasn't really sure fully about what. I didn't know this person; I'd never met. So we met at a restaurant over in Larchmont, and we sat down and and as we were talking, they talked about their 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 religious spiritual background. They were into a, a black magic from Egyptian witchcraft, and thought, okay, it's a good beginning. And uh, it's spiritual. And. Uh, and as we were talking, we were moving through their journey of, of spiritual experiences. And, and and then I started talking to them about Jesus. And, and they were so open. They were, in fact, they were so open, it kind of threw me off. And, and so it, the restaurant was packed. And people were obviously looking at them because they were well-known and easily recognizable. And, and then they started listening to the conversation. I was trying to... Speak quietly, but they didn't seem to care. And, and finally, I, I, I didn't know what else to do, so I just finally said, "Well, would you, would you like to give your life to Jesus?" And I mean, the conversation went so fast, I—I—I I, I, I wasn't planning to get there, but they said yes, and that was so confusing to me. This is our first meeting, and, and and so I stopped and, and I said, are, "Are you sure?" And I said yes, and. I said, would you, would you like to pray right here in front of all these people in this restaurant? And I said, yeah, no, no problem, yes. I said, wow, I don't even want to. I thought, this is amazing. It's like, you know, I'm like a little uncomfortable about this. And, but, uh, and, and, and they were just so leaning in that I, I finally just said, oh, wait a minute, I got to ask you a question. I have to ask you a question. They said, what's that? And I said, don't you think this is a little fast? You know, and... It felt like to me, like we should have had a lot of meetings, a lot of arguments, some tension, right? A little pushback, disappointment, did my best. They're like, yes, yes, this is what I want. And it says, okay, okay. Before we pray, I have to ask you a question. I said, why did you email me? And why are you saying yes so quickly? I know you're not supposed to ask that, right? You're supposed to go, let's do it. But I wanted to know, and they said, "Well, I, I know I don't know you, but I, I've been searching, and I don't believe—I I, 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 I haven't believed in God. I, I mean, I don't believe in God until right, right now." I said, "But I—but I thought if I could just talk to someone that I think has actually met God, and that person can tell me that Jesus." is who he said he was that I'm going to believe. And they said, so I emailed you because you're the one person in the world that I thought, I think that person has actually met God. I love that reputation. See, I want that reputation. I want to have the reputation of guy. I don't know. He's, he's a little odd or you know, I'm not really sure about him. But, but the one thing I can't deny yeah. is that that guy has met the creator of the universe. It's, it's really unexplainable. And I I love that right before this, it says that many people and powerful nations will come and seek the Lord Almighty and and trust him. And here's one of the things that struck me was that so many times what happens is the church, and it's a good thing in part, we we, we serve the poor, we we serve the disenfranchised, we serve those who are powerless, and, and, and that's good. But a part of the reason we only do that is we don't actually believe that the powerful will kneel to Jesus. See, we don't actually believe that the people who have power and who have influence and who have celebrity will actually cry out to Jesus and say, I need God in my life. But what they're actually saying here is that those who are powerful and those who come from powerful nations are the ones who are also crying out to God and saying, where are you? And they're going to get up out of their seats, out of their cities, and they have the money to travel across the world to go to the city where they've heard that God is. I'm telling you, there are people who are listening to the live stream and people who are listening to the podcast and there are people in the Middle East and people in Nepal and people in Malaysia and people in Ethiopia and people in Taiwan who are going to hear this moment and they're going to say, maybe there is a God. Maybe he actually does exist. Maybe he created me. Maybe he loves me. I'm telling you, they're going to get on a plane. They're going to travel across the world. They're going to walk into this building. around they're going to grab you by the coat they're going to grab you by the pant they're going to grab you by the robe and they're going to tell you I've heard about you let me travel with you because I've heard that God is with you so I want to ask you a question tonight it says we will have the strength of ten How long have you been walking alone? How many people are grabbing your clothes and your jacket and your robe and saying, "Could I just do life with you? Because I have a strange suspicion, this faint hope that if I could walk with you, I might actually run into God. That if I could just get close to you, I might get near enough to the creator of the universe where he could actually see me and come to know me, and I could find his freedom and his love. You know, I'm glad you're here, but it's no small tragedy when we walk in here alone. It's no small tragedy that we walk through life Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and our souls are not sticky for God. I I want everywhere I go, every place I am, for people to be drawn to the Jesus in me. How about you? I'm just going to be honest with you. There are times in my life where God is so distant because I'm distant from my life. Times I just go through the motions. I'm just going through the routine. And I still believe. But I'm missing that which is most, most extraordinary. But there are other times I can't even explain it. I hear people say, I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. I don't know how to have conversation. I don't know how to shut people up. I'm telling you, I walked into a clothing store to buy clothes. Not as an undercover agent for Jesus. (laughs) And I'm shopping and looking at stuff. And I see people talking at the other end. And they look like they're looking at me, but I'm thinking, they're not looking at me. And they're talking. You ever feel a little paranoid? I started feeling a little paranoid. Like, is it like my clothes? Is like something? And and then one of them left the group and walked across the store and came up to me. And instead of saying, "Can I help you?" the person looked at me and said, "We feel like God is with you." I went, "Is this on sale?" (laughs) A complete stranger walked up to me it feels like God is with you and we were just talking about it see I I I get frustrated sometimes because I'm on airplanes I put on my headsets I try to block out the world I was flying across the world I had this man sitting next to me he tapped my bows you don't tap another man's bows he tapped my bows I took off my bows and he said, I know this is crazy but are you like a God person? I wanted to put on my bows because it was like a 10 hour flight and I if I answer that question now that just guarantees me 10 hours of conversation but I was trapped so I looked at him and said yes I am he reached to the person in front of him in business class where you're not supposed to bother people he grabbed a stranger and said this guy is a God person he starts you ever get around really loud people who get loud for you he he, he starts across the aisle God person and we end up having like a cabin discussion you know what I want? I want the spiritual reality of who I am to be the defining characteristic of everything I do in the physical world. I want. I want to be a reference point. And I want us to be one. And I want the church to be the reference point to the world. I want Mosaic to be the reference point to Los Angeles that says God loves this city he is here and he is waiting for you with open arms and from this place I want every person across the world who did not think there was a space, a room a place, a home for them to somehow Found their way home. May we be that light in the darkness, that beacon in the storm. Let's be that voice in the silence. God always chooses a reference point. Let's choose to be that. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, we can do together, what we can never do alone. Go to mosaic.org slash give and join us in taking this message and spreading it across the world. God bless. Thanks so much.